Welcome to the Wild Own Podcast for Monday, July 13th. S&P futures are rallying about 11 points. That's about 30 basis points. The major European indices are up 40 to 60 basis points. There is a cyclical bias in Europe. So basic resources, chemicals, autos, industrials, materials are, are doing especially well. Banks are not outperforming. Banks are up about 40 basis points, so trading approximately in line. Uh, semiconductors are trading well in Europe as well, and that's largely a function of multiple reports talking about analog devices, ticker ADI, buying Maxim in the US. So that'd be about a $20 billion semiconductor deal, obviously very large transaction, not only just for tech, but for the overall market. That would, probably, that would be the biggest US deal announced year to date. So, you know, a sign of confidence for the tip for the market um, and then also positive for the overall semiconductor industry. Europe, um, sorry, Asia's indices saw healthy gains across the board for the most part as well. Um, so in terms of macro news, you know, the, the, the headlines over the weekend and then this morning, I think are kind of just confirming what a lot of people are already assuming, thinking, et cetera. Um, so on the COVID front, you know, the numbers out of the US are still ve- very grim. Um, in terms of transmission numbers, you know, Florida um, had an especially troubling number on Sunday. You're seeing hospitalizations increase. You have more reports about certain hospital systems in major cities running out of capacity. And then you're also seeing fatalities tick higher as well. Again, this is something the market's been dealing with now for several, several weeks, and it's absorbed the news relatively well, I think, for a few reasons. One, and this is the most important by far, there is there is hope of a vaccine that will be released later this year. Um and obviously that, you know, in most people's minds is a complete game changer, not only just for the COVID narrative, but for other issues as well, which I'll get to, um, including politics. Um, you know, so that that I think is the, probably the, the single most important reason why markets are absorbing all of the uh, COVID developments as well as they are. You know, I've talked about vaccines before and the narrative around vaccines and why I don't think it's going to be kind of this, um, you know, medical miracle binary event that will provide one shot for everyone that will provide 100% immunity in perpetuity. I think it's going to be more like the flu shot would be in terms of efficacy in you know less than 100% of the population um, and only a limited duration for the efficacy. Um, you know, so again, not necessarily the the type of game changer that um, it's it's being made out to be in the press, but nevertheless, vaccine anticipation um, is, is you know providing a lot of immunity for the market. Um, against the onslaught of negative COVID news. Other issues, other factors why the market is trading as well as it is, despite all the COVID um, news flow, has to do with the avoidance of wholesale lockdowns. So you continue to see politicians around the country are implementing mitigation measures, but they are more surgical and targeted. Um, you know, you had the Atlanta mayor came out over the weekend, talked about how they're kind of downgrading their reopening to phase two to phase one. Um, you know, more symbolic than anything else. A lot of these decisions really are, are um, come, you know, are the, are the province of the governor of uh, these various different states, not so much local officials. Um, so the Atlanta news doesn't really, in my opinion, change much. Um, you know, the lockdown measure, you know, you're not seeing the whole, the wholesale types of lockdown measures that you did in March and April. Again, a lot of cities and states are reclosing bars, um, restaurants, et cetera, but you're not seeing the entire kind of mandated shutdown of the entire economy. The lack of a resurgence in the Northeast, I think, also is one reason why the market is trading as well as it is. Um, you know, especially New York City has, has um, you know, as avoided an increase in case numbers, although you know Cuomo continues to sound very nervous, just given what you're seeing in a lot of other states. Um, you know, he seems to be very fearful that this will eventually come back to New York. And then the mortality rates too are much lower than they had been in March and April. And so you are seeing fatalities tick higher. 
but I don't think you're going to return to those types of mortality numbers that you saw earlier. You're just seeing you know, a reduction in the average age of the patients now in some of these states is much lower than it had been in the Northeast. Um, and I think the medical system is much more effective as far as treating is concerned. So for all those reasons, that's why the market is absorbing a lot of the news flow very well, even though, again, the news flow remains as bad as ever. Um, so that's macro issue number one. The other macro issue, obviously, is U.S. politics, where, again, you continue to see poll after poll after poll pointing to um, a very strong Biden victory if this race were held tomorrow. There was a poll out on Sunday that had Biden up five points in Texas. Obviously, that is thought to be a very deep red state. Um, you know, we'll have to see if that poll number holds up by November. But again, it just shows the, you know, the enormous momentum that Biden has at, at the moment. Um, you know, again, I think markets are assigning higher odds to Trump than the polls would suggest at the moment. And I think a lot of that ties back to a vaccine, the belief that a vaccine will be out by September, October. Um, and that would obviously turn the race around and provide, you know, a huge boost to Trump into November. So I think that's another reason why markets perhaps are a little bit more relaxed when it comes to politics. Um, you know, you also have seen Biden run a very kind of benign, uncontroversial, anodyne race, whereby, you know, a lot of his policy proposals, to the extent he's even making them, are very vague. Um, like you saw last week on Thursday, where he made that economic speech. Um, you know, he's avoiding a lot of the more controversial ideas from the Warren Sanders wing of the party. Um, and I think he's kind of deliberately removing a lot of specificity from his statements and remarks um, and letting Trump just kind of run against himself. So I think that's helping too. But if you read on paper, the Biden policy platform, um, you know, it is much more liberal than what Clinton was proposing in 2016 or what Obama implemented over his eight years in office. So, um, you know, I do think that if these poll figures do hold up going into October, I think, you know, the market um, you know, I think should probably be paying more attention to the Biden polls. You know, the, the numbers are real and they do point to an enormous lead, much higher than Clinton um, was ever at in 2016. Um, and then the third macro topic is just stimulus. So obviously stimulus is enormous. It's, it's, it's provided, um, you know, enormous tailwind for the tape. At the margin, though, it is softening. So again, the U.S. fiscal cliff is coming up. The question is not whether there will be a cliff. It's a question of how large it will be. So the federal unemployment benefits, it looks very, very likely they will be cut. They probably will not be cut all the way to zero, but they will be reduced. And then to the extent there's another one-time, uh, another round of one-time stimulus checks, it's very unlikely they'll go to the same amount of people. Those will be means tested aggressively. You know, a lot of Republicans have talked about sending them to people who only make $40,000 or less. So you will see a reduction in the consumer payouts. And then state and local, gov state and local governments are going to be a huge component of this next fiscal stimulus bill. If they are not given hundreds of billions of dollars in federal assistance, you will have you will see cities and states around the country implement aggressive um, cost cutting modes, and that will provide um, you know another headwind to growth. And then you know on the growth front again, you are seeing a lot of um, you know the the weeks long onslaught of COVID figures, along with some of these more surgical mitigation measures that are being announced in terms of um, you know lockdown steps are causing growth to soften. You've seen this. It's not showing up in the official government statistics necessarily just because, um, you know, those are not going to move initially. They'll move kind of over the coming weeks and months. But you are seeing a lot of the real-time measures show point to a softening in economic momentum. Um, and again, I think that's something the market's not paying enough attention to. Uh, so all that aside, I think the big focus really is, is on earnings. And you saw this on Friday. 
I think there is a sense, and I and there is some truth to this, that street estimates on Q2 are very, very conservative. They've been cut super aggressively. A lot of analysts are operating in the dark. Companies have not given a lot of guidance. And you saw this with economic data too throughout June, um, throughout May and June, where you saw kind of big upside figures to street estimates. Um, and I think people are assuming the same will happen on earnings, where you're going to have you know a lot of upside surprises especially on cyclical companies. And you've seen that you've had a lot of pre-announcements that have some notable cyclical companies. Um, you know, on Friday, you saw right when that Gilead news hit, you saw BASF, which is a massive global chemicals company, issue an upside pre-announcement. I think a lot of people assume, think, hope that Q2 earnings will look much better than the street. And that's largely because street estimates have just been cut too aggressively. Um, so I think that is playing a big role in you know a lot of the recent strength that we've seen. Um, no, but we, we've been really focused on COVID politics stimulus now for several weeks, for several months. I think that's kind of taking a back seat for the moment to earnings. Um, earnings will kick off today officially with Pepsi in the morning, but the big, the big group of companies that are reporting will be banks that starts tomorrow. I put out a big preview yesterday to the bank earnings season. I have a link to it in the piece today. Um, and it's really, you know, this earnings season overall is going to be a complicated one to kind of determine if companies are quote unquote good or bad. It's not going to be so much compared to the street print estimates. A lot of it's going to come down to tone, guidance on conference calls. So to the extent earnings ended on a positive note and management guidance suggests that we're past the trough and that you are seeing a kind of V-shaped type of recovery that obviously will be received very well for markets. For banks in particular on Q2, I think you're going to see some ugly provision figures. Um, If anything, I think the street estimates on provisions are too low, meaning that earnings estimates are too high. Um, you know, just do, giving a cursory look at at the print forecast on provisions. Um, you know, a lot of them just seem too low, given what we've seen, and as far as economic data, the trajectory of COVID, and then management guidance at recent conferences. Um, but again, if banks can guide to the reserve building process peaking in Q2 um, and then falling precipitously in Q3 going forward, that will certainly be a big positive. So again, it's going to be a very complex season in that it's going to require not just kind of a um, you know a, a digestion of the press release, but I really think a lot of uh, you know the, a lot of uh, important commentary will come out of the conference calls. So that is everything for today. Um, like I said before, there is that Maxim ADI uh, speculation in terms of a deal. Some of the reports suggest that could come as soon as this morning. Again, obviously positive for semis um, as well as just positive for the general tape. Um, a bunch of other news items out there, all of which I have linked. Um, as And then, like I said, other than Pepsi this morning, there's nothing. And then the big focus this week will be on bank earnings. And then you have a lot of Chinese economic data too, including a lot of June figures out Thursday morning. And then also the Q2 GDP is out Thursday morning as well from China. The central banks this week, BOJ and ECB, are not supposed to be important. Um, and then you have a big EU leader summit coming up the 17th and the 18th, so Friday and Saturday, where they're supposed to make a lot of progress on this 750 billion euro bailout fund. Um, you know, I would imagine that bailout fund does wind up getting approved, although you are go- probably going to see some tweaks to it, just given that you have uh, you still have opposition out there from certain countries. So that is everything for today. Thank you for listening.